This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. 7.49 a.m. You're listening to The Morning Run with Shazana Shaoning and Jensen. Now, the solar sector was a darling in 2020 and for parts of 2021, with share prices of stocks such as SolarVest and Samaden reaching new highs in early 2021. The gains were also driven by President Joe Biden and the Democratic Party's victory in late 2020, given his comprehensive and sizable plan to focus on clean energy. However, the sector was then hit by soaring raw material costs such as solar panels and modules which rendered the large-scale solar projects less feasible and reaping lower internal rate of returns. Large-scale solar, or known as LLSSS, is a competitive bidding program to drive down the levelized cost of energy for the development of large-scale solar photovoltaic plants and the Energy Commission is the implementing agency for this scheme. Now, this is in line to transit to net zero by 2050, where Malaysia aims to harvest renewable energy to provide 31% of the power capacity and uh, if, you know, by 2025 and a further 9% more by 2035. Additionally, however, competition is heating up in this sector. We've seen a lot more players jump on the bandwagon where their core business is not even in solar. And I've seen oil and gas companies doing so. And also, there's been a flurry of new listings in this space. So is this sector now poised for a comeback, especially with the implementation of a voluntary carbon market? Higher energy tariffs and a concerted effort to embrace ESG. For some insights on the outlook for the sector, we speak to Sean Lim, Regional Oil and Gas Head of RHB Investment Bank. Good morning, Sean. Thanks for speaking with us today. Now, your recent report cites the implementation of a voluntary carbon market, which will drive companies to engage in more solar adoption, benefiting solar players. So realistically, what kind of take-up can we expect, given that uh, it is still voluntary in nature? This is rather new in Malaysia and will probably take some time to garner more attentions from the corporates. However, with the possibility of monetizing carbon credits, this could spur companies to engage in different type of decarbonization projects. Either the tech-based, i.e. RE, energy efficiency, waste disposal projects, or nature-based projects such as reforestations or agriculture projects. On the other hand, the demand for carbon credit is expected to grow in the longer run, given more corporates have been decided to embark on the green agenda. An auction scheduled in March will be conducted for first trades to assist with price discovery for the new standardised carbon credit products. Sean, can you give us an update on the existing LSS projects, largely LSS 1, 2, 3, and in particular what is happening to LSS 4? Is the government going ahead to roll out LSS 5 as well? According to the Energy Commission's, only 45% of the total houses 1 to 4 capacities are operational as of the second quarter of last year. We believe the progress of LSS 4 projects construction will of this year as most LSS 4 winners would have achieved financial closure by end of last year following the extension of their PPA for another four years. As for LSS 5, we believe the regulator will want to focus on the implementations of the virtual PPA probably by this year. That said, with the financial closure and kickstarting of LSS 4 constructions, we will not be surprised to see the EC rolling out the next round of LSS bidding by end of this year if the moderated solar panel prices sustained by then. Sean, can you share with us more on this uh, corporate green power program and how is this different from the current LSS projects? I mean, what sorts of contract sizes can we expect? 
Basically, the Corporate Green Power Program, which is also known as the CGPP, is a renewable energy initiative that allows corporate consumers to virtually purchase solar energy from solar developers through the use of Corporate Green Power Agreement, CGPA, which is also known as a virtual PPA. So the solar power producers will export their electricity generated to the power grid and the energy will be purchased by the consumer at an agreed upon price. And if the system marginal price is higher than the CGPA price, the solar power producers will pay the consumer the difference and vice versa. Now, unlike the LSS project where tariff is decided based on the competitive bidding, CGPP could be more beneficial to the solar power producers as the tariff is fixed on a willing buyer, willing seller approach. A total of 600 megawatt quota has been introduced, which could translate to about 1.4 billion ringgit worth of EPCC contracts for solar con contractors. The government recently raised electricity tariffs on medium voltage and high voltage commercial and industrial users. So based on your conversation with solar players, will this lead to a rapid take up of solar? And has the cost fallen to a level to make the proposition a much more attractive now? Based on the conversation with them, the solar players have guided more CNI users looking to finalize their contracts and expect an order uptake from this space. Following the tariff hike, over 2021 to 2022, key components of solar module prices, including the raw material prices, shipping costs, module technologies, and the forex have risen, and some even to record highs, which caused delays in projects and dampened the solar demand. However, by end of last year, these costs began to decrease and thus lower the solar panel prices. And with these tailwinds, uh, CNI users are, are able to capitalize on weaker solar panel prices, which have now retraced to about 22 to 23 cents in USD per watt from the above 30 cents last year as a result of lower policy bond prices. Sean, can you give us an idea from a cost perspective, how has this changed over the past two years? Also, how do the local solar companies manage their forex exposure? To safeguard against the diminishing margins, players like SolarBears and Sumaden have started to trade in Chinese yuan, a relatively more stable currency. Now, although the USD had depreciated since the end of last year, the option to trade in Chinese yuan is likely to stay as it will help to mitigate the forex impact fluctuations. Now, in the previous budget in October 2022, the government extended the green investment tax allowance and green tax, sorry, green income tax exemption by two years to 2025, as well as extending the tax allowance and exemption from three years to five years. So some very generous uh, schemes here. Do you think this will remain when budget uh, 2023 is tabled again on February 24th? Uh, and are you expecting any other incentives? We believe the government will either keep these initiatives or introduce similar incentives to push the projects in green technologies and solar installations. And apart from that, more incentives are expected to expedite on the adoptions of EVs and any additional incentives for battery energy storage system or carbon captures and storage will be the bonus. So Sean, before we let you go, what's your call on the sector and your top picks? We have an overweight call on the solar power space, with Samaden and SolarWest being our sector topic. We believe the accelerating ESG momentum and increasing adoptions of green energy will continue to drive their growth prospects. And together with surging demand, we see further catalysts stemming from the recent tariff hike and decreasing cost pressure from panel prices and material costs, in which earnings should also scale to new highs backed by robust order book on, on hand and contributions from their own green plants. 
Sean, thanks very much for speaking with us. That was Sean Lim, Senior Research Analyst at RHB Investment Bank, giving us his take on how he sees the outlook for the Malaysian solar sector. Yeah, I think on the tariff hike by Tanaga, I think industries really have to weigh the costs and benefits of really installing the solar panels, given that the cost of panels have actually fallen. But at a more micro level, I have a friend who is rebuilding his house and he said the break-even now is really about four to five years versus about maybe eight to ten years, two years ago. So I think realistically, the cost has really come down. Yeah, and I think it's a question also how much your electricity bills are, right? Yeah. Uh, if I remember correctly, anything above 600 ringgit is worth doing. But if you perhaps have less than that, maybe then now it's come down because the solar panel cost has come down too. Uh, but if we look very quickly, solar vest share price up 34% on a year-to-date basis. Sam Aden uh, up only 3.1%. I think you know there is some interest in these names because they didn't do very well last year, actually. Yeah, they did uh, quite badly last year. But I think share price peaked in early 2021. All right, it's 7.58 in the morning. We're heading into the 8 a.m. News Bulletin, but first, a quick message for you. Have you ever wondered about the inner workings of a business radio station? How will radio survive the age of disruption of for traditional media? Find out on The Breakfast Grill this Monday, February 13, when we put our boss, BFM founder and MD Malik Ali in the hot seat to mark World Radio Day. So help us grill our boss. Send us any questions that you have on the media business or editorial direction of BFM and we'll have Malik respond on the show. You can submit your queries through text or voice note on WhatsApp at 018-789-8899. And trust us, we are going to ask the hard questions. But if you don't hear us on Tuesday, maybe you then know why. <laughs> <laughs> after the after the news, uh, the breakfast grill. I'll be speaking to Dr. Nor Aisha Maidin Abdul Aziz, neurobiologist and spina bifida patients' rights advocate. Stay tuned. BFM eighty nine point nine. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM eighty nine point nine, the Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.